Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to sen.ai forward slash dealmakers1, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. Alrighty, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So I think that today we're going to really enjoy the conversation with our founder, a founder that has done it, uh, that now he's on his next startup. His last one was acquired by Square. And I think that we're going to really enjoy, you know, his journey as a whole. So I think that without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Thompson. And let me see if I get it right in Guyen. Did I say it right, Thompson? Win is probably a better uh, uh, way to say it. Um, all Vietnamese words are are one syllable, so Thompson Win is like uh, pretty Thompson good Wynn. already. Got it, amazing. Well, Thompson, it's super nice to have you here. So why don't you give us a walk through memory lane? So I know that everything started for you in San Diego, but I know that you know how your parents came here for a better future, and the future that they were able to provide for you all was very inspiring. So uh, so it would be fantastic to hear. You know, what are, what are the roots? Give us a walk through memory lane. Yeah, no, of course. I think, uh, you know, I was born in San Diego, but um, my parents were born in Vietnam. And so after, after the Vietnam War, my, uh, my, my parents fled the, in search of a better life. And so my, my dad actually came to the States first. And my mom, my older sister, waited in Vietnam for, for seven years, uh, you know, while their visas were uh, underway. And so during that seven years, my dad had, a whole bunch of odd jobs. He was, you know, basically saving up money, uh, ready to receive them. And so when my mom, my older sister's visa uh, came up, I had sold all of his stuff, moved from Belmar, New Jersey to Los Angeles, uh, received them. And uh, they, they basically had the, the whole sort of like, you know, the, the immigrant grind. They, they, they worked a whole bunch of jobs. They were trying to make it work in Los Angeles. Um, and then eventually, you know, they, they found a, a job at what would later become Qualcomm in San Diego. And so by the time I was born, I was born in a, in a quiet suburb in uh, San Diego and, uh, you know, didn't know anything about my parents' struggle until much later in life. But, uh, you know, now, now that I understand exactly everything that I went through uh, just to find a, a better opportunity to, to build a better life for themselves and their family and their, their community. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of given me this sort of like life purpose and, and mission to, to try to do the same thing, uh, to try and lift up as many people as possible. Um, and that's sort of been reflected in my professional career today. And how do you get or how do you develop 
this love for math? <laughs> so, you know, as I was growing up in, in, in San Diego and I, I really liked understanding the, the rules of, of things, like the rules of games, the, the rules of languages. You know, I, growing up, I, I learned English, I, I learned Vietnamese, and then I learned Spanish. Um, and so, you know, uh, eventually that came into learning the rules of, of numbers and mathematics. And, 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 you know, I think once you get outside of arithmetic and algebra, you, you learn that there's uh, actually like a very beautiful, I wouldn't say game, but set of rules that comes with mathematics, you know, like that uh, set of axioms that underlie the foundations of mathematics and, and uh, just how how we manipulate symbols and uh, and uh, numbers. And so really fell in love with that early on um, in high school and, you know, then took that to uh, UC Berkeley, where I went for my undergrad, where I, I majored in uh, pure mathematics. My, my dad joked it was unemployable mathematics, but um, that's that's really where I got my uh, my my start in, in sort of like learning more about maths and and just how uh, uh, how to how to use that into to or lever that into to critical thinking or solving problems in general. And obviously, you continued there. You graduated. You did the grad school in Cambridge again, math. Uh, now, how do you think that things ended up leading you into data science? Yeah. So you know, I I think. Uh, I remember this distinctly, you know, I, I, I was in Cambridge in the UK and I realized um, I wanted to do something a little bit more uh, applied with everything that I'd learned at that point. Um, and I, I wanted to figure out what exactly um, were, were jobs that people could get with a, with a mathematics, uh, an applied mathematics or a computational biology background. And so, you know, applied to a whole bunch of places. And it was actually a childhood friend of mine who, um, you know, I, I got back in touch with and, you know, at the time they, they were hiring a, a data scientist and I had no idea what a data scientist was, you know, like they had just raised their series A and I didn't know what a series A was. They were moving from LA to San Francisco. And, uh, I thought it was a really exciting opportunity to, to join a, a tech startup and I'd never worked at a tech startup before. And so um, moved from the UK all the way out to San Francisco and uh, became the, the first data scientist for a startup called Lookout Mobile Security. Lookout now is a, you know, an amazing uh, cybersecurity company serving enterprises and government agencies. And you know, back then when I joined in 2000, 2010, I uh, was the first data scientist working on a whole variety of machine learning and data analytics problems to basically identify mobile malware. Um, and and uh, basically stop bad actors from from scamming uh, consumers. So you were there for for quite a bit. For for how long were you there? Because I mean, you did a little bit of um, startup land before actually when I went going at it on your own. I mean, you did like a few years before you started with Frame Data. So what was that? Um, what was that sequence of events that really led you to okay? So this is how it works. Now I get it. I have full visibility. Now I'm ready to do it on my own. Yeah, I think what I realized from working at Lookout and working at another startup called Causes was that, you know, uh, startups have common problems, not just in uh, setting up machine learning infrastructure to run arbitrary machine learning models, but then applying those models towards some business purpose. And so the, the biggest business problem that, uh, that I noticed with many startups that I talked to was user churn. User churn was a huge problem. This was around like 2013 when the idea of like uh, programmatic marketing or understanding 
how and why users leave your application through machine learning or automated means was was a little new. And um, along with uh, you know an undergrad friend of mine that I had met at UC Berkeley, we started Frame Data under the premise that if we could programmatically understand and analyze user behavior, we can identify triggers um, to uh, people leaving your application or people upgrading and staying on to your platform. And so uh, on that premise, you know, we start Frame Data. We we were in Y Combinator's Winter 14 batch, 2014. And then raised uh, uh, a seed round from uh, Google Ventures and uh, initialized capital, and then you know built the team up, built up the business, and then uh, sold the the company to Square. And I think this was late 2015. Because from Frame Data, I mean, for the people listening, what what was the business model? How how were you guys making money there? Yeah, so we basically charged. Uh, we were a SaaS company, so you know we charged anywhere from 500 to 5,000 dollars a month to businesses, usually startups, to assess and understand, um, you know, which users were about to leave. So it was like, you know, uh, we were the, the companion to Mixpanel or your Amplitude or your data analytics stack where, you know, you had a data analytics provider you, uh, and you had us. And so, you know, we charged a, a monthly basis on the small startup end, but then we also had yearly contracts for the larger enterprises. And how would you say that, because, I mean, here you went to Y Combinator, uh, which is tougher to get into than Harvard, by the way. Uh, and then also you had the opportunity of landing those great investors. I mean, what do you think, you know, like you learned there about getting into the into into that, you know, circle of, of, of Silicon Valley of the who is who? Because, I mean, now you've also raised again from, you know, an incredible uh, group of, of individuals. So. Would you say that maybe Y Combinator was the door that opened up the, like, really the door to everything? I, they definitely helped, you know. I, 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 at the time, our goal was to figure out what our users' biggest problems were and to solve them. And so, you know, our goal wasn't like, oh, like, we need to get in the Y Combinator in order to succeed. Or, oh, like, we needed to raise money in order to succeed. Our goal was to just succeed. You know, like like we had a plan if we didn't get in the YC, we had a plan if we did get in the YC. And so I think what I uh, what I cherish about my time in Y Combinator was that, well, it's an accelerator, you know, like if you have a business plan and if you understand what exactly you're building for your users, then Y Combinator can help you accelerate that vision, accelerate that roadmap, uh, really accelerate. The, the customer acquisition process, but you need to be a fully fledged business and a startup first. Um, and so I think, you know, if we've gotten, if we were successful at Framed, and if we, if if I'm considered to be, you know, somewhat of a success in fundraising so far, I, I believe it's because we focused on trying to solve the user problem first, um, and then from that. Uh, figuring out ways in which we can accelerate that um, through raising venture capital or uh, startup accelerators. Because for for the company, for Frame Data, how much capital did you guys raise prior to the acquisition? You know, we ended up raising a total of uh, $12 million. $12 million. So then what was that uh, point in time, you know, where, where Square comes knocking? I mean, how, how was that process like? But you know, we we weren't actually looking to to sell. But you know, I think uh, you know, we we, uh, we originally got a reach out from you know, someone on their their corporate development team, and then uh, eventually chatted with 
both the, the head of Square Capital at the time and then you know, eventually had a, had a conversation with, with Jack and, and, and realized that there was a tremendous opportunity to, to start and seed what would then become uh, Square Capital, their, their small business lending arm. And so, you know, when we sold, the, the entire team got folded up into that uh, business unit. And our engineers uh, became part of the, the Square Capital Partnerships team. Uh, I ended up running the machine learning and, and data science team at Square Capital. And then our, our sales team was folded into to Square's account management team. So, I mean, Jack, Jack Dorsey, for the people that are listening, I mean, the founder of Twitter and Square. So uh, one of the best entrepreneurs in our generation, you know, no doubt. So how... how how are the interactions with someone like Jack? I mean, how, how would you define uh, really Jack? You know, were, were, were you like, like it, was it like mind-blowing, that first interaction that you had with him? It really was um, humbling, you know, to, to, to meet uh, an amazing product visionary. And I think, you know, during my time at Square, we, we worked on a uh, machine learning boot camp where, you know, we actually helped educate everyone at Square about the foundations of machine learning and, and data science and, and, you know, got to work with him on uh, scoping out the curriculum for that. And, you know, he, he even filmed a, an intro video uh, for it. And, and, you know, just through my interactions with him and my, my meetings with him, I, I, I've always been struck by how he's been uh, focused on the user first and uh, focused on, you know, understanding uh, what are the biggest pain points for small businesses and for consumers. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So how do you land from the operational side, you know, after the transaction happens and now you're in Square and, and all of this, how, how, how do you end up landing in Kleiner Perkins? I mean, that's quite a, quite a shift from the operator side, you know, going more on the investment side. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I, I left I left Square in 2018, and I think at the time I'd been sprinting in startups for, you know, like uh, almost 10 years at that point, and and I, I realized I, I needed to take a break, <laughs> and so I thought I was going to take a year off, and uh, I ended up taking two months off. You know, I, I was introduced to Ilya Fushman, who's a partner at Kleiner Perkins, and 
after a couple conversations with him, it became really clear that uh, one, he's uh, he, he's a one of a kind venture capitalist and investor. Like he has an amazing, uh, uh, amazing foresight into not just how software companies and technology companies get built, but uh, how how fintech was sort of shaping and, and eating the world um, you know, in 2018. And uh, yeah, he, he invited me to come on board as an entrepreneur in residence, and uh, I accepted. And so at Kleiner, a lot of my time there was spent talking to founders, uh, talking to folks at Kleiner Perkins, un- understanding a lot about the, uh, the fintech space and the, the, the small business space as well. So, I mean, here you had the opportunity to, to also do that from one of the best venture capital firms in, in the world. I mean, really. Um, and I'm sure that that allowed you to, to, to really mingle with those folks and to a certain degree, like have an in into that pattern recognition that they have from differentiating the best founders from the ones that, you know, maybe not so, so, so such good, like, or, or would not have like fundable ready stories. So why, I mean, what, what would you say that you learned about successful entrepreneurs? You know, at Kleiner Perkins, their, their motto is uh, make history. And I think the companies and the founders that they've backed have been companies that uh, not just have uh, a focus on, on building like a scalable, enduring business model, but truly want to solve some enduring problem that we face today in society. You know whether whether it's improving uh, web search with with Google, or uh, ensuring that you know um, you can order uh, what used to be a book, but now it's pretty much anything and get shipped to you in two days with Amazon. So many of their partnerships, and what I've learned through their portfolio is that so many of their their partnerships with founders start on the premise of what is the problem you want to solve, what is the personal motivation behind that problem that you're looking to solve. And, you know, that that really resonated with me, you know, going back to how I got here and the sort of struggle and strife that my parents had to go through. It's it's the exact same story that's repeated across small business owners today uh, in the United States. You know, 28 million small business owners, uh, another 30 million uh, 1099s, gigsters and solopreneurs. Uh, all working to simply just build a better life for themselves, their families, and their their communities. And, and so, you know, what I learned from my time at Kleiner was that my my own burning desire to try and you know like build a better, more fair financial system for those folks was actually the the strongest asset I had in building a company. And, and you know, by extension. I, I think what one of the qualities that they're looking for. I, I mean, you know, I, I say I think they, they they ended up investing in my seed round, so I, I guess it worked out there. So then let's talk about that. Obviously, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So at what point do you decide, hey, I'm going to go at it again? I think, you know, I, I I didn't come into Silicon Valley thinking I was going to start a company. You know, with, with Frame Data, I had realized that there was a unique problem that I wanted to solve. And, you know, I ended up just taking my first steps and trying to solve it. And with this time around with Nearside, I realized that, you know, for all the strides that um, Square, now Block, 
Shopify and all of these companies are doing to to serve small businesses, you know that there was still uh, an opportunity and and still a, a a market to serve them on a foundational financial infrastructure basis. And, and by that I mean that you know for for the hundreds of small businesses I interviewed during my time at Kleiner, I realized uh, access to capital was still a huge concern for them, and having a bank account that um, was just a little bit more fair, uh, was, was extremely important to them. And when I say just a little bit more fair, they were getting charged $35 for an overdraft fee. They were getting charged $30 a month just to keep their bank account. And, you know, they would, uh, larger banks and financial institutions will, will waive that if you have over, say, 3000 or $4,000. But the average balance of the small businesses that I, were talk- I was talking to uh, at the time had around eight hundred or nine hundred dollars, simply because they were using the money, what what money they had, to run the business. And so, what I realized was that there was still a huge opportunity to provide uh, easy, fair checking accounts and easy, transparent uh, credit cards and term loans to these small businesses. And so that's when I realized, okay, time to to get back into the fray and 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 start another company. So how did you go about building the uh, team, the founding team? Well, you know, I think once I decided I was going to build Nearside, uh, and once we, once we had raised the, the seed round, when I say we, it was, it was just me at the time. And so, you know, the, my, my first port of call was uh, r- reaching out to, to folks who I had already worked with. And, and so, you know, our, our, uh, our first employee at Nearside uh, is a guy uh, by the name of Jim Lee, who uh, used to be the general counsel at uh, at Square Capital. And at the time, he was at a, another startup. And I, I was talking to him, and I told him a little bit about, you know, the vision and the product that we were building. And he he signed on almost immediately. And, and you know, the two of us got to work. You know, he, he started building out the legal and regulatory infrastructure behind uh, partnering with financial institutions to provide checking accounts and business line of credits. And I got to work just writing the, the initial um, minimal viable product, the MVP, um, on my end in, in code. And then from there, we, we fanned out and started hiring software engineers. So, you know, folks that I used to work with at uh, uh, other startups and, and other companies and built out our founding team basically through you know, uh, folks that, that we had worked with together. Nice. And now in terms of um, business model here with Nearside, how, how do you guys make money? What's the, what's the business model there? Yeah. So, you know, we make money in three different product lines. So on our business checking account, we, we make money through the debit interchange, um, which so anytime someone swipes a, a debit card from Nearside, we, you know, we make some percentage off of the total amount of the debit card transaction. On the lending side, we make money through uh, the credit interchange. So if they swipe a, a business credit card or a business line of credit uh, 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 through us, um, we get some percent of the interchange as well and, and through the interest. And on our software products, you know, for Sprout, we incorporate businesses in as little as 10 minutes. And so people pay us um, a yearly fee to not just incorporate and submit the state filings, but to maintain those state filings and to maintain uh, a registered agent. So it's a virtual mailbox 
where official business mail that gets sent to that address will forward it to their uh, a mailing address of their choice. The reason why people do this is because otherwise your your home address could be on a, a public register of, of businesses. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a recurring SaaS fee for, for that arm. And in terms of uh, financing, you were talking about it. I mean, you got the seat there from, from Kleiner, but, but one question that comes to mind is, on the last company, you had raised about, uh, you know, 12 million, you said, and now uh, you went at it again. You know, you've, you've raised quite a bit with, uh, with, with Nearside. How much have you raised for Nearside? A total of 78 million to date. So 70 you know, plus million to date. So how did you go now about really thinking through the investors that you were going to bring and why you thought those investors had what, what you needed? Based also because on the last experience, you already knew. You know, like they, they make it or break it that an investor can make. So, so why did you go with the investors that you chose here? With Kleiner Perkins, I think uh, Ilya brings uh, a remarkable set of uh, technology and uh, technology insight and focus that uh, has uh, definitely helped in the early stages of our company, figuring out who to hire figuring out the, the bar around hiring, setting culture, writing our values. Um, he helped uh, a lot in, in drafting the initial uh, set of values and operating principles for the company. You know, we, we raised a, a Series A with Foundation Capital in February of 2020. And so, you know, with Charles Moldo, um, he's a, a well-respected fintech investor who has been through uh, multiple uh, macroeconomic cycles, um, you know, including the one that we may be going through right now. And so I've, I've always valued his macro sense of, you know, how, how to think about our business as an enduring one, regardless of what happens externally in the markets. And with our Series B, we raised from Velar Ventures. And, you know, these are, these are two folks in New York who have very, very strong fintech concentration. And, and from that uh, remarkable expertise, into understanding, you know, how do fintech companies grow and scale? And so I, I think we, we got extremely lucky with the institutional investors, you know, on our side to date. And then from our angel network, they ended up being, uh, well, a whole bunch of my old coworkers from, from Lookout, from, from Block and Slash Square. And, and so I'm, I'm grateful to, to have them um, sort of in my corner, um, helping me out along the way. And in terms of, you know, the, the, the size of the operation today, I mean, anything that you can share in terms of number of employees or anything else? Um, you know, I think we're, we're around 65 employees right now. And, you know, I think uh, our goal is to try and build a, a tech company. And by that, I mean, you know, is there a way we can scale out our product offerings and still provide a, a level of customer support and, and human touch for, for our customers when they need it? Um, that allows us to to scale, you know, I'd say more thoughtfully and carefully where, you know, I, I don't want to balloon up the team as fast as humanly possible. I, I don't want to uh, overly uh, commit to, to hiring hundreds of people, in, you know, in the next year or two. Uh, I want to understand how can we use software and automation to continue to provide remarkable service and products to our customers so that we can uh, continue to be extremely careful and thoughtful in how we scale uh, our business operations and our team. Now, as, as you were pointing to uh, goals, imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the 
vision of Nearside is fully realized? What does that world look like? That's a really good question. You know, when, when, I, when I think about it, it would have meant that we've permanently made it easier for people to start a business. And I think what I find interesting about small businesses is that when, when you look at tech startups, for example, every tech startup wants to become this multinational, enduring, possibly public company worth tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. Every small business simply wants to build a better life for themselves, their families, and their communities. And so in realizing our mission of providing better, more transparent financial services for those people, we would have also made it easier to, to start and easier to grow and easier to succeed. And so we, we found this interesting intersection between an enduring business model and some sort of societal good or even societal mandate where, you know, starting a small business is probably the majority route to socioeconomic mobility here in this country. You know, like if you didn't go to university and land a job in a, in a, in a lucrative sort of like service sector company, it usually is starting a small business that, that allows for folks in this country to, to, to build a better life. And so when, when, when I realize, you know, uh, what we're working on, the, the future that we're building towards is one where uh, people are, are able to, to realize their own personal financial goals in starting a business much easier and much more transparently uh, through us. Now, imagine if I put you into a time machine, Thompson, and I bring you back in time. Back in time to that moment that, you know, you were like uh, bouncing from one startup to another. And uh, maybe you were thinking, you know, hey, maybe, you know, I start something on my own. Imagine if you were able to have a sit down with that younger self and you were able to tell that younger Thompson one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? That's a good question. I, I think what I would tell my younger self, always focus on, on the customer and, and center the entire company around that person. I think, you know, um, for my first startup, I was a lot younger then. You know, I'm... I'm uh, I, I, I don't want to say I'm old now, but I, I was a lot younger then. And, and I think, you know, when, when, when one is in their 20s, there's a whole bunch of sort of like uh, optical, like awards or accolades or, or even just like social media clout that, that feels like success, that feels like you're doing well. And I think what I would have told myself back then is that the only thing that matters, you know, isn't that uh, it doesn't matter whether you got into like Y Combinator or it doesn't matter whether you raised from like Google Ventures or Initialized or all of these like amazing people. The only thing that matters is whether you solve a problem, a genuine problem that your customers have. You know, at the time it was churn reduction. So, you know, for serving other SaaS companies, like are we actually helping them reduce churn? Are we actually helping them succeed with their customers? That's really the only thing that matters. If you can do that, then all the accolades and all the other stuff come anyway. But, you know, I think, I think what I would tell a younger version of myself is to, to one, be present. You know, like what already what we're doing today is a gift that I'm able to 
you know, come on to, to your podcast and, and talk to you about, you know, my journey is a gift. And so from that, realizing that we have a, an immense opportunity to, to serve other people by simply just banging on keyboards and writing code is not just a, a gift, but an opportunity that, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that a younger version of myself doesn't take for granted. I love it. Wow. That's profound, Thompson. So for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, yeah, if you want to reach out and say hi to me, you can just send me an email. Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-O-N at nearside.com. If you're a small business and you're starting up, I'm happy to talk to you. If you're looking for a job in tech or you want to learn more about how to get started, I'll, uh, you know, happy to answer any questions you've got. Amazing. Well, hey, Thompson, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Uh, thank you, Alejandro, for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.